0: Good morning, everyone. Blessed be the name of the Lord, for this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Glory to God. Just for a brief moment, before I go any further, let's just lift our hands before the Father. In the name of the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, just begin to worship Him where you stand. Let's just continue in this vein of worship, declaring that he is great, declaring that he is worthy, declaring that there is truly none like him in all of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of all things and all lives. The maker of times. Mm. My God. The maker of times. So we bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. In the name of your son, Jesus. By the power and help of your spirit. We honor your presence in this place. And we thank you for what you have to say. I pray, Father, for your anointing that makes teaching and preaching easy. Let what comes forth be of you. Less of me and more of you. Your people need a word from you. And I pray, Father, that they would hear it today. I stand against every opposition to the word of God's progression in this place. Let your word go forth, piercing the hearts and minds of your people. May your word go forth to carry your people from where they presently are to where you desire them to be. Father, I pray against every form of obstruction, every form of hindrance. I pray for free course and liberty in the name of Jesus. And we thank and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I honor the presence of God in this place. I honor your pastor, Pastor Dwayne Wright. I thank God for the privilege and the opportunity to once again be with you. And I honor the great people of Kingdom Living Ministries. I also want to honor my spiritual parents who are here as well. Thank you so very much for being here. I can't tell you enough what God's been doing in my household and family as we have been really laboring together, seeking God. And so them being here today is a blessing. And um, I just want to thank you again for allowing me to come and to minister. Um, I thought last week was it. (laughs) And the Lord was like, "Uh uh-uh. So when Pastor Dwayne called me and I was like, okay, what am I going to say? And the Lord gave me the word and said, it will be a continuation of last week. Matter of fact, not only is it a continuation, but it is a further elaboration or explanation of what has been spoken. So this is going to be prophetic preaching and teaching today. Um, it is a manner or another expression of how the word of God is delivered. So be prepared, and I pray that what God has given me strikes you very strongly, and awakens you to the reality of where you've been, where you are, and where you're headed. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Mm. The book of Revelation. Some people say, revelations. No, there's only one revelation. (laughs) We're going, to look, we're going to read Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 6, and then we're going to pick up from verses 13 to 17. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it reads this way. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, <clears throat> a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, And on her head a garland of 12 stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Follow now with me in verses 13 through 17. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent or the dragon. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth verse 17 reads to conclude. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the sake of emphasis and repetition, I would like to read verse 2 once again. Then being with child, she carried out in labor and in pain to give birth. The title of this presentation of the word of God is Travailing Ministry. Travailing Ministry. You may have your seat. Glory to God. Last week when I was here with you, The Lord gave me the word entitled, A Prophet's Reward. We looked at what God had to say in a brief presentation of the prophetic ministry and office. And we looked at what Paul has to say indirectly in regards to prophetic ministry and the office of the prophet. And as we discovered, we saw some some foundational truths therein from the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, 3, and 4. We also saw what Jesus had to say regarding prophetic ministry and that in explaining that when you properly receive a prophet, what does that actually mean? We looked at that and saw what it means. And that when you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, meaning his office representing, name representing his office, you will receive a prophet's reward. And we looked at a biblical example of the working of that verse from the Old Testament. And we saw with the prophet Elisha, with the notable, notable woman, how she received him, how she was hospitable to him. How she cared for him every time he would come by her way. To the point that he was just so moved by her generosity and hospitality. He said, We've got, I've got to do something for her. And he sought to find the different things that he, she, she, he could do for her. And she said, none of those things is necessary because I am a notable woman. I have my own people. I have my own prestige. I don't need your help in that regards. And to come to find out, his servant said, well, she doesn't have a child, which for that time was very important because he said she doesn't have a male child. Male children were significant and important to women because once the husband died, then she would become a widow and her son would become the means by which she would survive. And so he says to her, by this time next year, you will have a son. And when he prophesied that word, it revolutionized her life. And so we learn that a prophet's reward is a word of prophecy that revolutionizes your life. What a powerful thing. And so at the end of that time the Lord gave us a word of prophecy for this house. And how it is int- how it is int- intricate to what is taking place here. And I would like to explain some things that God had said and the implications of those things for your life in ministry in a practical way. Now, I want you to bear with me. I want you to bear with me because this kind of a presentation is revelational. And um, I need you to really hone in, to listen, to not allow your flesh to get in the way. Because if that happens, you'll miss something that is, in, that is needful for you in light of where you are as a church body collectively. Somebody say amen. Amen. In, prep- in preparing for this message, not this one particular, last week, God gave me a vision. And I prophesied it last week. But God said, I want you to now explain what you saw. Because many times we get prophecy and we don't know how it works, what we're supposed to do with it. So God's going to help us to get some insight. What I saw was powerful. But it was also Something that if you don't grasp it, you'll miss its significance (laughs) for your life. (laughs) What I saw in part, and I'll give the rest as I continue. Well, let me me give it now. What I saw was a woman at the time of birth. And I saw her laying in the, the bed that she was giving ready to give birth upon. And what I saw was her having a wet compress to kind of cool her down because I could see her. She was sweating. She was hot. She was uncomfortable. It was arduous. This was time to give birth. And then I saw the baby crowning, and I can talk a little bit about it. I'm not a female, so I don't know what it's like to give birth. But I remember when my wife was giving birth, and her birth is so, so odd. And I told my wife, stop telling your testimony because a lot of women can't relate. (laughs) Her birth was very interesting because she had no pain. And um, the doctor was like, well, you didn't have pain for the first one, but the second one, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And they kind of tried to shock her out of faith. And so she said well if it's going to be that bad well give me the epidural. So she goes through that process. I couldn't even be in the room when they gave it to her. I don't see why but anyway. So they gave her the epidural and now she's got this thing connected inside her body and it could have been very bad if she had moved or any kind of stuff. So it was very, very tough. So she gets that and They say whenever you feel the pain really strong, you press that button and the drug will run to give you that numbing effect. Mind you, she never used it because she never felt any pain. And so she's in the, they're they're looking at the monitor. I'm looking at the monitor. I'm like, babe, it's a big one coming. Do you see it? She's like, well, I don't feel it. And I'm like, whoa, that means it's going off the chart. She's like, I don't feel it. I'm like, what in the world? I felt robbed. This is not what I saw on those baby shows, and the wife is screaming and and hollering, and mind you, in the next room down the hall, there's this woman screaming at the top of her lungs, and she's like, what are they doing? Are they killing her in there? So, and all the nurses were in our room because they didn't want to be with her, because she was just off the top. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But my wife is just sitting there. She's got the one computer here and another there, phone here, phone there. She's just doing business. And I'm like, I don't get this. And, um, but when it came time, all, the doctor came in the room. The nurse is flooding the room. And I was like, oh, something's happening. Because they began to see from the monitors out there that it was time. And they looked. And they said, she's fully dilated. They broke the sack because they had to. And there it was. It's time. Do they have all the, the, the whole bed transformed. I was like, whoa, I didn't know the bed could do that. And then here's what's so wonderful because now she's, it's time to push. And they're telling her exactly when to push because she doesn't know when to push. She can't feel nothing. And so they're telling her, okay, now push now. So she's pushing. So the time comes when the baby crowns. And that simply means that you can see the head of the baby showing, but it's not coming out yet. And the doctor called me over and said, come look. And I said, okay. And she said, look down there. And I looked. And there was Janelle's head, full head of hair, coming through. And I was amazed. I said, wow, this is amazing. And so like that, I saw in this vision this woman. Now she's pushing. And I could see the crowning effect of what she bore coming forth. And then the vision begins to move to the next phase. Just as you see in Revelation 12, he said, I saw a sign. And then in verse 3, I saw another sign. That's showing you the same vision, but it's split and it's progressing. And so in that vision, I saw the progression of the vision. So now it's part two of the vision. And what I saw there was two children. So the woman was not carrying One child, she bore two children, and I saw two children, but they're not babies anymore. They're adolescents. Now they're in, as adolescents, they're in school, and I saw them at school. I saw them playing with other children, but it was not just playing with other children. Those other children were drawn to them. I saw all different types of children. I saw Asian children. I saw Indian children. I saw all different types of ethnicities. And I said, well, why am I seeing children and not older older people? And Lord, help me to understand that just last evening. There's a reason why you saw adolescent children and not grown people. Because adolescent children can receive other ethnicities and not be bogged down by their ethnicities. While as we get older, we're bogged down by them. I'll come back to that point Later on in the message. But I need you to understand this vision really is about kingdom living ministry. God will show me your past, your present, and your future in just that vision. So pay attention. Now, what we need to understand as an introduction to this is how how do we become pregnant? How do we become pregnant? It is the same way as a woman becomes pregnant. She gets married. I should get married first. Because the word intimacy means into your mate, into your covenant partner. And so that is the proper way and the proper procedure and the proper protocol for the human life. Before you have children, you get married because children are always supposed to be born and come through a covenant relationship. In our time and age, of course, that's not the way it is. But that's always God's standard, will always be God's standard. But we see here that God would have us to understand before you even talk about giving birth, you have to understand how to get pregnant to begin with. So many people are wanting to jump to the end and not understand the process and how this thing even begins. Mm. So now how does this woman get into this predicament? So the Bible's letting us understand before you ever can conceive, you have to have intimacy. And to have intimacy with God is something unique indeed. Now, I need you to pay attention because I'm going to say some stuff that's going to rub some folk the wrong way. It possibly can. You may love it. But hear carefully. There's two things that you must understand about intimacy. One is responsibility. One is responsibility. The next thing is calling. One is responsibility. The next thing is calling. Wow, wow, wow. See, What many people think of intimacy is worship, right? When you talk about intimacy with God, we're talking about worship. But you must understand something. Gosh, help me, Holy Ghost. You must understand something because the reality is you cannot really, truly, honestly, sincerely be intimate with God in public. Many times you find people that, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, and, and you think like, wow, they're really into this. They're like, I mean, and it may be so, but there is a level of in intimacy that you cannot experience publicly that you experience in private. There's a level of intimacy and affection that you can show your husband or your wife in public. You can express your intimacy verbally in public. You can express your intimacy by touch in public. But there's a degree by which that stops because if you go beyond that, then it's indecent exposure and you can be what? Arrested. There are consequences of showing too much affection that is required in private when it's manifested in public. My gosh. Can you imagine that in public? Two people going at it. You would say, that's rude. That's just, I can't believe they're doing that. Because it's improper. It's not the proper place for that. And so there is a place and a time for certain things. And, and, and here's the reason why. Intimacy with God cannot happen so much so in public, in these arenas as we have here. There's a certain level that you reach, but when it comes to deep intimacy with God, it has to be something in private. The reason why is because there must be the removal of the veil. The removal of the veil. I was speaking to my spiritual dad the other day, and I told him church has become a masquerade ball. Masquerade balls are the most ornate kind of realities. It is expensive when you think about a masquerade ball because the the opulence and and the, the garb that they wear is expensive. It's ornate. It's beautiful. And the masks that they wear as well are very intricate. And so they wear them, but you don't see the pe- the person behind it. So therefore, you never know who's behind the mask unless they what, remove the mask. Or you can identify the voice of the person speaking with you. So therefore, many people come to church like a masquerade ball. They get all dressed up and dolled up. They put on their makeup, which is part of the mask, to present to other people that I'm good and I'm holy and I'm good and I'm righteous. But in reality, their heart is the most wicked and heinous and diabolical there's so much like jesus says to the pharisees you're like whitewashed tombs you look good on the outside but you are completely dead on the inside And that says there's no life in you, there's no truth in you, there's no righteousness in you. You present yourself as if you are holier than thou, but in reality you are the very opposite. You are most diabolical, most heinous, most sinful on the inside. And so church becomes a masquerade ball. We walk in here with our nice suits and our nice stuff, smelling good, looking good. But the reality on the inside, we have neglected the reality of the inside life for the outward appearance of life. That is why so much of what we do in church we like because we can put up a front to others and we leave here empty as we came. And, and what many people like uh, is, is is they like the intimacy aspect of it but they don't like the responsibility aspect of it because when you become pregnant there bears there the responsibility of a life that you carry many people like to be intimate but they don't want the responsibility that comes from intimacy they want to be intimate they want to experience the desires being filled of the carnal flesh but they don't want the responsibility. Associated with what will come As a result of it They like the feelings of worship But they don't want the responsibility of worship They like the trappings of worship But they don't want to carry the responsibility When they leave the place of worship Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And so they, 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 they like it. They like the band. They like the way the songs are sung. Oh, they sing in my song. So they get their little dance. But when they leave here, that song had no relevance to their life. Right. Oh, wow. They like being empty. In biblical days in the Old Testament... One of the most chief desires of a woman was to become pregnant. Their identity was attached to them having the ability to bear and to carry, to give forth a child. And when they did not have that, they felt less than a woman. They felt robbed of their womanhood. Mm. Yes, indeed. And so how is it that we are okay with being intimate with God? And being empty. How is it okay? How is that the desirable reality that we like to come to church believe empty having not received anything? How is it that we can have a relationship with a God who's full of potency and yet we are empty? How is it that you can go to the Bible and you study it and you leave that place empty having not received anything? anything how is it that you go into prayer and you get up off your knees after listing all of the things on your prayer list and you get off and you think I've done my responsibility my religious duty now I can go and have my own way how is it that we can be content with prayer as a as a one way thing and not realize it is a dialogue prayer is not a monologue it is a dialogue I think sometimes we treat prayer as if we love hearing our voice prayer is not about trying to hear your voice it's all about trying to hear his voice we are content with religiosity devoid of really transformation Mm. because when a woman becomes pregnant her life is forever changed her body is never the same because why she has conceived something that has revolutionized her physiology Mm. We like having the the notion of intimacy, but not the reality of intimacy. My God. And so God says this can't be for Kingdom Living Ministries. You can't be a church that is content like every other church that gets up, gathers themselves together, come together in church, sing a few songs, hear a message. Do a few prayers, and you leave, you get back in your cars, and it's business as usual. you got to leave here understanding that what you're carrying is far greater than your own selves. Am I making some sense? The next thing that you need to understand is calling. That when a person becomes pregnant, it changes their whole perspective in life. It changes the very trajectory of their life. It changes their identification. Why? Because before they were just a woman. Now they're a mother. They're carrying something that they will now have to care beyond their own selves. Matter of fact, when you're pregnant, when a woman is pregnant, I should say, when she gains weight, does she not? She should. Because the reality is you're eating not for yourself. You're eating for someone else. You're eating for two. You may go into a store by yourself to have dinner. But the reality is two of you in there together. Mm. So you're never by yourself. When you become pregnant with a vision of God, when you become pregnant with the will of God, a purpose of God, a destiny that God has for you, you are never alone. You know why? Because now, and and think about this, when um, a, a, a woman is pregnant, it's not just her, it's the husband and wife. They are together in this, together, together. Somebody say together. And the reality is, that she has the, the primary task of carrying the child, but the husband has the task of the supporting role. Isn't that odd? Because it's flipped, right? Because the, hus- the wife is given to the man as a support, as a helpmate, but when she gets pregnant, it kind of flips because now he has to support her. He has to help her through this situation because she can't do everything. All of the energy she has is going towards the fetus that she's carrying. So there are times that she feels completely t- drained why? Because the baby is sucking everything from her. Mm-hmm. I remember when my wife was carrying Janelle, the baby, she had to go to the dentist because her teeth were beginning to go bad. Why? Because the baby was sucking all the calcium from her body. She had to have um, a teeth removal. Teeth removal. And no painkillers. Because she couldn't, she couldn't take anything because of the fetus that she carried. interesting that we can take any and everything into our system and we say we're carrying a vision of God we just watch anything listen to everything receive everything and anything and we think that's acceptable not realizing that you are bearing the responsibility of potentially killing what you're carrying can't take any and everything any person that comes behind this pulpit you have to be sure that God sent them because they can cause what you're carrying to be aborted and there are many churches that fall prey to that reality I don't care what name they bear, I don't care what title they bear, I don't care where they hail from, the reality is if they're coming to speak from this pulpit, you better be sure they've been sent from God because what you're carrying is God's, oh my gosh. And God takes it very seriously. Who's speaking over your life? Who's speaking over your life? Who's making declarations? Who's making confessions? What are people saying about what's in you? My gosh. And so calling, calling. Some people never come to discover their calling. Some people never come to discover, them. they've been in church 20 years and they don't even know what God's called them to, who they are in Christ, what the gifts they have, what their responsibility, what their duties are, who they're supposed to be reaching, what kind of impact they're just supposed to be making in the world. What They don't even know what kind of a change they're supposed to bring into their home, their marriage, their family, their community, their region, their world. They have no clue. And so they come and they sit in church and that's all they know they do. And part of the problem is is from the ministers and the preachers and the teachers because they're, 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 uh, oh my gosh, I'm stepping on some toes. But that's all right because the reality is in church today we're fueling a mentality that if you come and sit in the pews, you are a good Christian. You are fulfilling your duty and responsibility. And the the proof text that we use is what is found in Hebrews. Forget not the assembling of yourselves. And if you are forsaking the assembly of yourselves, you are not a good and submissive Christian. Hmm. Really? Hmm. The reality is come, sit, and do nothing. Your only responsibility is listen to the preacher and say, amen, and clap when he says, clap, and dance, when the band plays, and there you go, we have in church now, and the preacher's preaching and hooping and hollering, and if the church says, oh, yes, that's church, whoa, my goodness, how in the world Paul would be completely amazed by what he sees today of the church. There is no reality of the word of God as it once was. Oh, Oh my gosh i read a a, a person a, a professor or uh, somebody in the news also he works in the news he's a professor and he wrote a book i forget the title i didn't bring the paper and i'm kicking myself for it now but he wrote a book about how he went on a discovery a search in the united states from state to state looking for the presence of the bible in the church he said he is amazed because he even went to like mega churches and he said the Christianity that once was and the word of God that once was it is not found there you would think it would be found there you would think because of the multitude of people that are gathering but he looked and he couldn't find it we are in the days where that young king came into power i don't know if it was josiah but the bible says that, that as the priests were fixing and cleaning the temple they came across a book they were shocked and they didn't know what the book was but when the priests opened the book and they read the contents of the book they dropped that bad boy in sheer amazement of what it was they was like oh my gosh This is the book of the law. This is the book that was given to Joshua. The book of the law which was told that you must meditate upon it day and night. For in doing so, you shall prosper and have good success. And that's part of the reason why the church is in the calamitous state it is now. Because we're not meditating on the book of the law day and night. We have lost the discipline of meditation we call every other thing meditation but it is not most of what we call meditation is a cultic practice rooted in the rays of the Roman philosophies but the Bible says meditation is getting your eyes fixating it on the words of the book letting it introspect you letting it judge you letting it deal with the sins that are hidden in your heart David said I've taken your word and I placed it in my heart I've hid it there that I might not sin against you. So much sin is in the camp because of the absence of the word of God. My God, we are in a terrible state of affairs. They bring the book to the king and they said, king, we didn't found a book. And the king said, what book have you found? They say, wait till you hear this. You won't believe it. If we told you, you wouldn't believe it. So what we're going to do is have one of the priests to read the contents of the book. Because this book is so holy. Not everyone just can read it just in any old kind of way. It's got to be one who is sanctified enough to go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it, read it, read it. And so the priest reads the book. And the king hears the contents. And he is completely in horror. Because he recognized This is God's word. I don't know what passage they read, but it must have been shocking because the reality is he rips his royal clothes, which is part of the fact of showing repentance. He was completely shocked. What did he do? He got everybody to repent. You have to understand the church is the way it is presently because we have not God's word. You may say, Well, how's that possible? They're teaching it every church. I won't even name this church, you might already know it. He goes and he lifts the Bible and says, This is my Bible. I can do what it says, do. And he goes on and says what he says, and then never cracks the Bible. Never cracks the Bible. And I sit there, then what in the world are you teaching? Yeah. Yeah. Never cracks the Bible. I could, I could go on there all day. But the Lord says, when, when, when you become pregnant with a vision and purpose of God, it changes your identity. It changes the trajectory of your life. It brings you into alignment with God's destiny and purpose for you. And not only that, but when a child is growing in the womb, it is due to the fact of it's receiving the proper nourishment and nurturement that it should get. And the Bible helps us to understand it is the same way with us in Christ. That when we have a vision from God, my gosh, that thing will grow in us. That growth speaks of the development of the vision of God. That happens over months for some, some for years. And I can tell you, I've been pregnant with a vision of God for years. And I'm now closer than I ever was to seeing the full manifestation of it. And so the reality is, when that thing's growing in you, you discover things about even yourself. Because when that baby's growing, things in your physical body as a woman begins to shift it is the most uncomfortable reality. Organs begin to shift, things begin to happen. The baby gets so big that she, the baby's either sitting on the lung or sitting on the something else, with well, some other organ. And so the reality is, when the vision is growing, it can be uncomfortable at times, due to the growth and the development and the discovery that you have of that vision. Because the more it takes on its features, The more you begin to realize, oh, my gosh, this is not going to be something that I'm thinking it's going to be. This is going to bring some kind of stuff against my life. Why? Why, God? When you got the vision initially, you were excited. But now as you begin to understand the responsibility associated, the ramifications of it, you begin to say, "Um, can we change this a little bit here? But God says this thing is going to bear my image and it's going to bear your image. To others, your image is wonderful. It's nice. It's wonderful to receive. I just love when you come around, but they don't realize it bears my image. It's the very image that man hates. It's the image that they crucified on the cross. It's the image that they can't stand when they see it, but it's the image that will bear both mine and yours. They'll receive you and one end, but kick you out the next. They'll talk about you in wonderful words, but at the very same mount they'll curse you because they don't like the image that it bears. Jesus, have mercy upon us. And so, we find that this woman in Revelation is giving birth. This woman is about to give birth, and here's the dragon. (laughs) Here's the dragon. You see, you can never really have a true vision. If it's a true vision, the dragon will always be poised to kill it. If it's a true vision... The dragon will seek to kill it. If there is no dragon after what's in you, it ain't God. Am I telling the truth? As that baby develops in you, you begin to realize everything of hell is trying to kill it. Everything of hell is trying to silence you. If you're a singer, everything tries to get your voice to contract it, to destroy it, if you're a preacher, the same, because there's something that comes from your mouth that the enemy does not want to be heard. If you're a writer, you start getting hand cramps and all kinds of issues and maladies with your hand. If you're a dancer, you got stuff with your feet and your legs. Whatever your calling is, your gift, your destiny, your purpose from God, the devil will seek to ruin it, to destroy it to discredit it. But you have to realize that you're not in it by yourself. There is a God who is sovereign that is watching over the care and the welfare of what's on the inside of you. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, Okay, okay. So this, this, this woman gives birth. This, let me get back to the vision. She gives birth to a child. We come to find out it's twins. <laughs> Why I say this was your past and your present and your future? Because your man of God, your pastor, your leader, before you ever knew him as your pastor and as your leader, was intimate with God. PD was never one to simply to be one to be expressive of his God in public and never in private. He was always one to seek God in his private times. I got to hurry up and wrap this up. He was one that was always seeking to praise God, to worship God, to study God in his own private times. Even to this present day, he does that. Am I correct? is yes. not one to depend upon people, neither am I. If I don't go to church, I'm still going to be fed because I've learned how to feed myself. Yeah. And One of the biggest problems in church today is we, we, we rely on the pastor to feed us. And if the pastor doesn't preach that day, we're upset because, man, I didn't get my word. Well, you need to know how to go home and feed yourself. Get in the boor- Crack that Bible and feed yourself. Amen. And so in those times of intimacy, he became pregnant with a vision of God. He didn't even realize he would be the pastor of this church, but he became the pastor of this church because of the vision of God that he carried. He carried you all in his spirit. And not only you all, but the others that are coming down the line. But here's the part of that you need to understand the travailing aspect, which is your present ministry. The travailing aspect is found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Go there with me real quick as you can turn your page. I'll probably get there for you before you if you are using an electronic device. Chapter 4, verse 19 says, My little children, for whom I labor, whom I labor in birth, whom I labor in birth. Again until Christ is formed. In you what is the labor of Paul here it is his labor in teaching them the Word of God so that Christ be formed in them the Christ being formed in them is that level of ministry that brings a people who are in their uh, uh, their, their 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 child their child age to that age of adolescence and towards maturity It is an arduous labor. It is intensive. When you think about preaching and ministering the word of God, it is hours of devotion given to the study of God's word. If you have a preacher, every time they preach the word, it is the night before they're preparing. There is a problem. And so, here we find this reality and this is what you're presently going through this is your pastor's posture he is laboring diligently to make sure that christ is formed in you he's not ministering to impress you He's not ministering to to excite you emotionally, to stimulate you. That's not his pursuit. His pursuit, while others, that's their pursuit. They're trying to emotionally stimulate you. They're trying to get you excited. They're trying to move you in some way to, to shout hallelujah. But that is not your pastor's concern. Your pastor's concern is that he will provoke you to transformation. My goodness. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you your future. Let me show you your future. And then we're going to go back to Revelation to close. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4. We read this last week. So this is a continuation of last week. Again, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of what? The work of what? Whoa, wait a minute. So, these fivefold ministry gifts, these fivefold offices, authorized by Christ Himself. Why? Because Christ is the apostle, Christ is the prophet, Christ is the evangelist, Christ is the pastor, Christ is the teacher or rabbi. He is all of those offices. And all those offices are found in one office that he bore, the Christ. The Christ is not Jesus' last name. The Christ represents his office, the office of the anointed one. He takes that office and separates it, breaks it into five distinct offices, and he gives them names. He says, this one, out of my anointing is the apostle. Out of my anointing, prophet. Out of my anointing, evangelist. Pastor and teacher. He separates and divides his anointed office as the anointed one into these five offices and then gives them their reason for being. He says, Your reason is so that you may equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not sitting down and looking at a screen, not sitting down, and listening to a preacher, not sitting down to say we were we had church, but to sit to be equipped through instruction. So that when we get up, we know exactly what we're to do out there. We're to be about our Father's business. We are to be about what? Work. What type of work? Ministry. Paul says, lay hands on no man suddenly. What does that mean? Contextually it means do not take a novice or someone that you have not known to test their character and put them in an office of leadership before you know that this is God and they're ready. Because if you do so, you're putting a novice, an unlearned, unskilled individual in a position of, of leadership what will happen is that they will cause harm to the people that, they, that are under them and bring disrepute to the name of Christ himself. Lay hands suddenly on no man. So be, why is that? Because they're a novice. We have too many novices in ministry. Jesus. Wow. We have too many unlearned, and unskilled men and women in ministry everybody has a ministry everybody has a calling card everybody's seeking a platform give me the mic i want to preach but you are unlearned and unskilled why would we do that all right so what am i saying here in this reality ministry requires what maturity ministry requires what Maturity. The higher in leadership you go requires more maturity to be there. If you're not mature enough, you can't stay there because when I read this again, now you're going to see what your future is going to be like. Y'all ready? All right. Y'all asked. Here we go. I'm only going to read one verse, Revelation 12, well, two. Revelation 12, 13, and 17, which we read in the beginning, but I want to read it to wrap up. Verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted. He did what? The woman who was carrying the child she gave birth to. You all have Two locations, am I correct? Right? Yes. One here and one where? South Jersey. The woman gave birth in the vision that I saw? Twins. That represents the two gatherings or the assemblies of Kingdom Living Ministries here and South Jersey. And God is... Laboring diligently through your pastor, through teaching, systematic teaching, exegetical discourse of God's word, to bring forth the accuracy and the truthfulness of the word of God. Why? So that you may become what? Mature in Christ. For what purpose? So that you may do the work of ministry. But remember the dragon that I talked about that was waiting to devour When he was bringing forth this ministry, he went through a lot of stuff to bring it forth. And only those who are with him at the very beginning understand the stuff he went through. The many members that were lost. The attacks he experienced from others who were talking bad about what he was doing. He went through some stuff. And so the dragon tried to kill what was in him and what he was giving birth to. But he failed. Why? Because there's a God watching over the vision. And and so now the children are are growing. They're maturing through the teaching of God's word. And the future is coming. That as you mature in Christ... You are going to be producing the work of what? Ministry. What does that mean? You're going to go in places, environments, worlds, and surroundings with other people that are not like you, that don't look like you, that don't smell like you, that don't talk with your accent. You're going to be around them, and they're going to be drawn to you. Why? Because the Bible says, no one can come unto the Father except the Father draw them. So the God in you is going to be drawing them to you. And then you're going to lead them to the one who sits on high that saves the lives of men. Get ready to see different shades of humanity. Different colors. Hearing different dialects and sounds. Smelling different cuisines when you get invited to their houses for prayer and for the teaching of God's word through discipleship, get ready to touch different lives. Get ready to hear the different testimonies, how God brought them to himself in Christ. Get ready to hear some stuff in their family line. And as God raises you up, you don't have to call PD. PD, there's a demon in this family. You can, by the authority of Christ, say, "Uh uh-uh, not in this member of our kingdom. We cast you out. Every member is going to know how to deal with demon spirits. Every believer is going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Every believer is going to know how to pray for the sick and see them healed. Every believer is going to know how to preach the gospel and see sinners sick. Every believer. That is a prophetic declaration. Every believer. Say it with me. Every believer. No one shall be left on the sidelines. Here's where I close. With all this wonderful stuff that's coming of ministry, of advancement, of transformation, of seeing different lives filling and making the tapestry of kingdom living ministries what it is. If you thought the, the past was tough, the future's tougher. It says in verse 17. And the dragon was enraged because why? He couldn't kill the vision. He couldn't kill the vision. So now he goes after what? (laughs) The offspring of the vision. He goes after those who have been touched by the vision. And the Bible says he makes war with them. Why didn't he just say he persecutes them? Because he wants to give us a different understanding of persecution. Persecution is another way of saying spiritual warfare. We always associate spiritual warfare with, with, uh, with prayers, exuberance of prayer and, and shouting. But spiritual warfare is just experiencing life as the enemy beats against your life. Trying to break you down. But in defiance, you tell him, I will not break down. You have a glorious future. I hope I kind of helped paint a picture of it. You have a glorious future. One in which you'll be doing extraordinary things by the help of the supernatural God. as As you convey and speak about the supernatural Lord who came of a virgin woman. Who lived a life of sinlessness that's like what and who died a horrible death but was raised on the third day and who lives today this is who you tell and when you tell this story you're going to see the supernatural power of God manifest to save other lives Paul said I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the dunamis of God the miraculous power of God to save men miraculously. This is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. Father, I thank you for these, your people. I thank you for helping me to articulate what you showed me in the Spirit. I pray for these that as they continue to do what they do that they may understand there was a root foundation to all of it. It came about because a man had intimacy with God and gave birth to this now. Father, because of it, the enemy is enraged and he has risen himself against this ministry to stop them at every which way he can. But the good news is that in every attempt he tries, it will fail simply because you are watching over your own word. Thank you, Father, that when the enemy came in like a flood, you put him to flight by the Spirit of God who raised the standard. Let the flags of the Lord rise again at each and every time Satan comes sweeping against this ministry. I pray, Father, for each and every member. (coughs) That they will band with PD like they've never banded with him before. Father, they band with him because of the vision of God in him that is being communicated and transmitted and imparted to each member. That, Father, where each member goes, they are an extension of Kingdom Living Ministries and more importantly, an extension of Christ. And I pray many lives will be touched because of what they do here and how they express their faith in Christ Jesus to sinful and lost men. Father, I thank you for your blessing, and I release it even now in the name of Jesus upon these who are gathered in this room. I thank you, Father, they are charged with the presence of God and the word of God. In the precious name of Jesus. Glory to God. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Alan, stand. T- oh, well, you already stand.